These are crazy readings today from the Bible. And there's six of them, but only four of them made it into the bulletin because, you know, we're Episcopalians. We don't want to give you too much Bible at one time. So I give you all six in a row because all of them have in common that same phrase, the same structure. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So the Episcopalians gave you four, but in honor of my fundamentalist roots, I gave you two more. So you got all six in one reading because they do go together. That's why I added the readings on for you today. If you don't know, which you might not if you weren't here last week, we're in the middle of a readings from a very famous part of the Bible. This is the part that's called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who were here last week, choir, I don't want you to jump in here. I don't want anybody who's here the first service to have an advantage. But if you can tell me how many verses are in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew from last week, I will give you a cup of the good coffee from my office and not the coffee that's downstairs in those big tin urns. So, raise your hand if you know how many verses from last week. I knew my coffee was safe. 110. You're right, 110. And I know that not because I'm a Bible scholar, because I just added up the numbers in the Bible. And um, you see, it's, as you know, from the Sermon on the Mount, it's back-to-back teachings, one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to like 36 in a row, 36 teachings in a row. There's no extra parables, there's no interaction with other people, Jesus just sits up there and talks forever and ever and ever, and he gives 36 different teachings. So what you heard today is from that real famous part of the Bible. And I know most of you, when you heard these readings, and there's six of them, which is a big chunk, <laughs> your heart was dropping after every one of them. Well, you've heard that was said this, which is pretty hard anyway, but I tell you, there's a lot more <laughs> that you ought to do. I know you've heard this, but... It's much harder than you think. And after you heard the sixth one, which said, you have to love your enemies, not just your friends, you all were just about to walk out the door. It's like, who could possibly do that? Everybody who reads these things thinks the same thing. Even, I remember, Luther, the famous reformer, Luther said, when he reads the Sermon on the Mount, he gets so depressed, it makes him want to cry because he feels so worthless and so like, oh my gosh, I can never live up to that. So you're in good company. But I want to give you some hope because <laughs> after the last time I gave this sermon at the beginning of the last service, I mean, last service, someone said, your sermon was okay, but gosh, those readings were so depressing. <laughs> so I want, you to, I want you to have a little more hope and a little more idea that you can do this. Just think about it. <laughs> What's the famous uh, si se puede? <laughs> si se puede. Yes, you are able. <laughs> so let me, hopefully I'll end on that note. Yes, you are able. The first part of each of those six sayings starts off with, you have heard that it was said. And he lists six things. Every one of those is pretty hard 
But it's really still pretty average level of behavior, pretty ordinary, socially, you know, acceptable conduct. Nothing too extraordinary. If you go to church and they say, well, here's the first commandment, you know, we want to talk about today, thou shalt not murder. You know, that's not a real high bar for most of you. Although it can be hard sometimes, especially like you're in traffic, then murder could be a possibility. <laughs> but thou shalt not murder is not a high, high bar. It's kind of the minimum standard for not having complete chaos and living in a brutal society. The next one, be faithful to your partner. Do not commit adultery. That's a little harder, but still you would think, you know, I think I can probably do that on a good day. The next one says, you have to understand the context, when he says, thou, you should not divorce, a man should not divorce his wife. Just a little context there. The woman was a property of the husband. So it was nothing like a marriage you would think of today. The, the woman was the property, essentially owned by the husband. At any moment, he could just say, I'm done with you. And he writes a piece of paper, and he hands it to her and says, bye-bye. So Jesus is saying, you cannot do that. You will ruin her. She cannot survive without being connected to a husband. So he says, look, don't just write a certificate. But on a good day, I don't just write certificates to my wives either. I say, okay, honey, one more day for you, and you're okay. <laughs> then he says, the ordinary one says, fulfill your vows to God. And in the olden times, people would swear and proclaim an oath and a promise, and they would add on all of these extras and say, they wouldn't just say, I promise, if I told my wife, I promise I will put the dishes in the dishwasher. Jesus says, just say yes or no, but in the old days, he said, I promise and I swear on heaven and on earth and everything that's holy and on my mother's grave and on the altar, I swear I will put the dishes in the dishwasher. And the old, thing, the old law would just say, do what you promise, fulfill your vows. That can be hard. Those dishes stack up in the, I don't want to put all those in the dishwasher. But simply saying, fulfill your vows, that's not a high, high bar. But it's something. The next two are the killers. It's a little play on word there because it says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, that's the, that was the legal that was legally acceptable that you should, if someone wronged you, if they treated you badly, if they offended you, you could go offend them back and get back exactly how they hurt you. If they poked out your eye, you could poke out their eye. If they knock out your tooth, you could knock out their tooth. This is where everyone gets their pound of flesh. Well, that's not exactly, it's a little barbaric, but on a good day, I'd say, okay, I won't do worse to you than you did to me. I won't do worse to you than you've done to me. That's not a very high bar. Finally, the last one is this. 
and this is a pretty low bar, but it says, look, love your friends, hate your enemies. If you guys can't do that, you need to go back to rudimentary uh, religion school. But those six commandments are a low, low bar. That's just ordinary society, pretty much. Ordinary, nothing special about it. Jesus says, that would be like, not the kingdom of heaven, that's not the kingdom of God, that's just so you all don't kill each other all the time. That would be the kingdom of humanity, if you will, the kingdom of man. That's ordinary life. So Jesus says, I know that's the law, but I want to raise up the bar. And I want you to live, essentially, as if God were ruling, if Jesus were the Lord. If, if government, <laughs> I heard a great saying on this. When they say Jesus is Lord, most of us think of it in divine terms, like we're saying Jesus is God. It's, you could also think of it this way, and it's probably more powerful and better in context. Suppose Jesus was like the Caesar, the ruler of the empire. How would things be? Or in our days, this has really got me. Suppose we lived as if Jesus was riding the budget for the government. <laughs> what would he put in the budget? What would he take out of the budget? That's what it means. Jesus is Lord, the kingdom of God. How would it be if God wrote the federal budget? So having said that, Jesus is calling for a higher standard and more rigorous behavior than the ordinary. And he takes it to pretty extreme levels, you would think. Because I have trouble keeping the first list, let alone the second list. So listen to what Jesus says, just for a moment. He says, not only do I not want you to kill people, you're not allowed to murder. That was kind of the low bar. He says, well, don't let your anger control you. Don't even let your anger get out of control. Because anger leads to murder. So he says, cut things off at where they start. And then he'll say, not only should you be faithful to your partner, don't let your passions rule you. Don't let them control you. Which was always really tough when I was in college. I was like, oh my gosh, do I have to do that one? So I wanted to date a lot of girls, and so I was chasing them all around with my prayers. It was very spiritual dating. Okay. And then finally, he says, not only should you not divorce your wife, he says, don't divorce for like these trivial reasons. Don't, he says, don't get divorced at all because you can't just throw someone out in the street like that. Finally, he raises the bar again. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm fulfilling my vows and my promises to God that I swore on the altar and I swore on my mother's grave and I swore on the temple and I swore on earth and I swore on heaven. See, whenever you do that, then you actually do what you said you're going to do. It just kind of feeds your ego. It's like, you see, I'm on God's side. I swore to God and I did it. Jesus says, skip all that extra talk and just do what you're going to do. <laughs> Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, and just go about your business. The last two are the hardest ones. 
This is when, by the time he gets to the sixth one, you're already kind of reeling anyway, but he says this. Not only do I not want you, you're not allowed, not only do I want you not to do tit for tat, you push me, I push you. He says, don't take vengeance on anybody who does you wrong. No paybacks allowed. Hmm. He says, everybody pays back somebody else equally. I would like you to be children of God and live in the kingdom of God. Retaliation and vengeance and retribution. Why don't you leave that to God and don't take it on yourself? And finally, the biggest one of all, he just point blank says, love your enemies. It's a wonder anybody followed him after that. He says, look, everybody loves their friends. How hard is it to love your friends and your neighbors? He says, even the tax collectors do that, and the, the Gentiles, God forbid, do that too. So when Jesus says, love your enemies and even those who persecute you. Well, the first six are hard enough, but these next six that he adds on, it just feels like a giant weight, like you're going to be crushed under all these expectations. And to be honest, for a long time, like Martin Luther, I tried to keep all those things, all those commandments by trying harder and trying harder and failing, and then I'd work harder, and I would keep lists, and I'd try to love my enemies and not take vengeance. But I would always make mistakes, and I'd always fall, and I'd always never measure up. And then what really happens is everybody says, well, I guess it can't be done. So let's worship Jesus. Worship Jesus, but we don't really have to become Jesus. Jesus is God. That's how Jesus can say those things. That's how Jesus can do those things. But discipleship and becoming like the master, it's kind of out the window. So it's been my experience that Discipleship really is about transformation and becoming like the teacher. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. He's calling students to become like he is. In fact, he does it kind of like on-the-job training. He doesn't really just preach to them. He says, come follow me, watch me, and I'll show you what can happen. It's a little bit like the nursing profession. Or like my wife is in the sonography school. They only take a small number of students or a small number of disciples because it's hands-on. You have to see a nurse or see a sonographer actually do the job, and then you go do it to the patient. And then they teach you by doing. That's why the classes are so small. You can't have one patient and then have... You know, a hundred people going over to take temperature. Here's your temperature. So, discipleship is meant to be like on-the-job training. And Jesus says, come follow me, and I will show you how to become like I am. And you will live as new people in a new world, as if the kingdom of God were at hand. And there's only one way that can really happen. Because to be honest... You all are very sincere. You all really are 
serious about this Christian life. You're, I know you are, and you try really hard, and so do I. Now, that will take you a certain way down the road. It will. In other words, when you try to drive like a Christian, and you... <laughs> Someone gives you the, a certain sign for doing something while you're on the road and you do not retaliate with an equally offensive sign, you are making progress. When they cut you off and you don't cut them off in return at the next light, you see, you are not retaliating. I'm not sure you're loving them as a, as a friend, but <laughs> nevertheless, you are trying to be like the teacher. What you can do with your own force of will, your own willpower, with your own strength, can take you part way down the road as a disciple. But there's another transformation, there's another thing, another change that has to happen, because sooner or later you will hit a wall and you will hit a, a roadblock. There'll be that one thing or a couple things you just cannot do. It's not in your DNA. It's not in your personality. It's not in your makeup. And it, you'll be frustrated, and then you'll get depressed, and you'll get angry at yourself. You'll come to one of those things sooner or later. <laughs> we come to them every day. It's like, this is just beyond my capacity. And so... This is, this is the big transformation. When you reach your capacity, when you reach your limit, when something is too far for you to get to, then you have to have a change in the source of your action. You have to have a change in the fuel that, is, that you're running on. You have to have a change in the energy with which you are using to live. To put it in Bible terms, you have to move from flesh, which is your personality and your willpower, to spirit. And you can do that. That's the big change. You can do that. I don't think I've heard three sermons on this in my whole life. But I'm giving you your first one. There is an energy source within you. There is a power within you that belongs to God that is shared by you, which is essentially, we call it spiritual. That's why we say on our bulletins, we're trying to help everyone move from egoic power to spiritual power. That's the transformation that has to happen if we're going to get anywhere close to living in the kingdom of God and to living according to, but I say to you, love your enemies. I say to you, do not retaliate. I say to you, do not get that divorce so easily. I say to you, all those high bars cannot be attained using ordinary human personality, willpower, and effort. You will find a roadblock you cannot do on your own power. So Jesus says, you'll have to make a shift now. You'll have to be, listen to these scriptures. Unless the branch is connected to the vine, it will not bear any fruit. That means 
you and I are the branches, we have to be connected to the deeper source of power within you, that part of you that is from God, then you can bear fruit. The branch must stay connected to the vine. Or Paul will say, look, it's no longer me who's trying to do these things. I have died, my egoic personality. Now I live by the power of Christ within me. Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Romans chapter 8 and 9. There is the indwelling, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When you touch that spirit... You have a much greater fuel source, energy source, power source, and the kingdom of God can come into this world through you. Finally, Colossians 1.27, he'll say, so Christ in you, that is your hope of glory. <laughs> so whether it's Romans or Colossians or John or Galatians, the Bible's trying to say there is a power within you and you touch that, you can do amazing things that you cannot do by your own instincts, your own strength, and I cannot either. Your ego can only take you so far and then you're, you're running into darkness, you run into a path you can't overcome but the Bible is not trying to leave you there in the wilderness. It's going to say, look, God lives within you. Through God, you can do amazing things. The question is, how do you get to that place? How do you find it? How do you access it? That's way too much for this sermon. You're saying, thank God he's not going to go there. But this Wednesday at 10 o'clock and Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the evening, I'll try and go farther. If you're free at 10 o'clock or 6 o'clock, we'll talk more about what it means to move from ego to spirit. So, I wanted to say this just as we conclude. Si se puede. Yes, you can. You can as long as you tap the place within you where God dwells. The power of God within you, the power of Christ within you can do infinitely more than you can ask or imagine. The power within you is the only way to get anywhere close to these commandments that Jesus gives. I can never love my enemies. God can. I can never not want vengeance, retribution. God can. I can never be very faithful, but God can. I can never live up to the Sermon on the Mount. But there is a power within you, and God can. So be hopeful, you all. Don't be overwhelmed. Just go, wow. My ego is not as good as I thought it was. Gets me halfway there, but I really just can't finish the race. But there is a source within you that is very strong. 
if we learn to touch it, tap it, live from that source, then the kingdom of God will be present. Then we can do amazing things. We will be the children of God, not just the children of flesh and blood. Just like it says in the prologue to John's gospel. It says, to those who believe in him, he gave the power to become children of God who are born, who are born not just of flesh and blood trying to get along in the world. They will be born anew from God. What we can do on our own, it's good, but there are limitations. But we can do with God living through us, that's when things really get interesting. I offer this to you in God's name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.